All right, so we're continuing on in our course on our identity, who we are. And we've, of course, the first few weeks we are on our identity as humans generally, uh, based out mainly out of uh, Genesis and thinking through what we are as creatures of God, created in his image, loved by God, fallen, variety of those things. Uh, the second portion of the course, we've been thinking more specifically about who we are in Christ, united to Christ and what that means for us. Uh, and so you have the top, at the top of your handouts, you have a, a short review there of where we've been. Where we've been. We are loved, we are justified, uh, adopted, born again. Those are the, uh, the four things we've covered so far in Christ. And we've been using Ephesians chapter 1 as sort of our guide, our outline. I was trying to think through the best way to think about our identity in Christ and what the right order to cover all these things are. And after a bunch of debate, I was like, well, you can't really argue with the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1. So we'll use his outline uh, for better or for worse. I think for better. Um, so anyway, uh, we, last week we were in um, verse 5. And we considered two weeks ago, he predestined us to adoption as sons. And so you remember we talked about adoption. And then last week, sort of a sister identity is that we're born again. Maybe sister's not quite the right word, but a related, there, there's a good pun, uh, a related part of our identity is that we're born again. So we're adopted as sons. That has to do with our inheritance, the full rights and privileges of the Son of God. But then as children of God, we're born again. We have new spiritual life. God imparts his life to us. And so that was sort of our discussion last week. Um, so this week we come to verse 6. And I wanted to point out a few things as we dig in. Verse 6 says this, To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So there's a little phrase there. Uh, of course, all of this is to the praise of the glory of His grace, but then He did something by which, that grace, He made us accepted. That's what my New King James Version says. Um, and it'd be kind of interesting to uh, read around the room different translations we have here tonight uh, because it's a word, it's a very unique word. It's uh, actually just the noun grace turned into a verb. And so this is why translators have trouble uh, translating exactly, because really you could just say he graced us to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he graced us. He, and so I've used the summary, I've used the word tonight, he favored us because grace is unmerited favor. That's one way to look at it. Uh, New King James says, made us accepted. That's a fine translation of it. It's just a tricky one to translate because of the concept of grace being turned into a verb. He, he graced us, um, which is super cool to think about. And so we'll dig into that tonight. But it doesn't end with the fact that he graced us. There are three or four um, related salvation doctrines that go along with this grace, and they come in the very next verse. Verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So we've got redemption and forgiveness that are tied in immediately after this being graced by God. Uh, and so we'll talk about those two. And then there's one that Paul doesn't mention here specifically, but you'll notice in a few of our other passages tonight, it's related to these three. And that is the idea of being reconciled or at peace with God. So redeemed, 
reconciled, favored, and forgiven. There's your four, uh, four things for tonight. And uh, we've done one at a time and barely made it in time each week, so four in one night is going to be a challenge, but I'll do my best to get us through them here. So favored, forgiven, reconciled, and redeemed. Favored, of course, comes from that idea there in verse 6. Oops, I forgot to put our review up there. Yep, talked about that. Okay, here we go. Favored, forgiven, reconciled, and redeemed. So let's start with favored. I am favored. I stand completely in God's grace. So again, we're talking about a person who's truly born again, who's trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. These things are not true of a person unless they've trusted in the finished work of Christ on the cross, who died for us and rose again. If a person believes in Christ as Savior, they're born again, they're united with Christ, and these things are then true of them. So that person, or you or I, we're favored, graced by God. Or maybe another way we could look at it is we stand completely in God's grace. At some point tonight, we'll come to Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, uh, where the Apostle Paul talks about the grace in which we stand. And that's a beautiful word picture because it helps us understand what it means to be graced by God. When he says the grace in which we stand, you're sort of imagining this person standing somewhere completely enveloped in grace, just standing in the realm of grace and swimming in it, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what you do in grace. You swim. You don't drown in grace, that's for sure. Um, but uh, I guess you stand in grace. We'll go with Paul's word. Um, but it's a wonderful picture. We're just completely surrounded, covered, uh, enveloped in grace. This is our part of our identity. We're favored by God, and it comes with our being united uh, with his son, kind of like at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, right? God's gracious perspective upon us that does not change um, because we are united to Christ, favored. A uh, couple other comments to make about this one. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 7 talks further about this grace, that it's not shown to us only in this life, but for eternity. We've studied this phrase in uh, one of our previous lessons, but in, in Ephesians 2, 7, it says this, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So we're shown, we're favored in this life, and that just overflows into eternity. And then uh, one last comment, it would be back in chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, well, actually, let's continue in verse 7. I didn't finish explaining verse 7. So, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. What is this forgiveness of sins match? It matches, or it's according to his, the riches of His grace, right? So, forgiveness is attached to grace in that the amount of His forgiveness matches the amount of His Rich, rich grace. It's complete. It's whole. Uh, And then verse 8, if we weren't sure, the Apostle Paul just kind of goes over the top here, which he made to abound toward us. Uh, So the word abound is a fun Pauline word. He sort of like makes up words sometimes. He takes a word that means abound, so that we have here a word that means abound, and then he adds a prefix to it that means like over the top or above 
So it's like above abounding. And so Paul does this a lot in his writing. It's really fun. Um, but this is one of these exaggerated words where it's like, if, you know, it's not just abounding, it's like overabounding. Uh, his grace that he's made to abound toward us with forgiveness. So um, fun, fun stuff to think about. We are favored in Christ. So let's get our discussion warmed up a little bit. This should be a, um, yeah, fairly easy one, just looking for some examples. How does it help us to know that God in salvation has made us favored or graced? How is that encouraging? How does that help us to be favored by God? Don't have to earn it. Good. We have all of it. It's complete. Yeah, good. God is for us. Yeah. Yeah, he's for us. Man. Linda. Things aren't going well. We tend to feel like we're out of God's favor, but we can count on the truth of his favor. Yes. Yes. Ukrainian and Russian believers, how do they have a good day? Yeah. How do they feel God's grace in suffering? Yes. Um, this is a fact. Yes. It's not a feeling, is it? So it's not hot and cold, <laughs> depending on what's going on with our circumstances. It's a fact. Yes, it's a fact. We're favored all the time, period. Other thoughts? Yeah, Larry. Yes, yes, we can approach him. Yeah. He's decided to do and it will last for eternity. Yes, yes. It's something he chose to do and it will last for eternity, so we're not going to lose it, right? And so Ephesians is incredibly clear um, that the grace of salvation came to us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, right? So. Uh, we didn't earn it in the first place, and we can't do anything to lose it, right? That's exactly right. Good. Okay, well, good thoughts. God's favor towards us is so encouraging, and we have the fullness of God's grace, which is incredible to think about. There's also a truth in Scripture that as we need it, He gives more grace, right? Which is sort of hard to fathom. It's like you have an infinite amount of something, and then when we have that sense of need, God's like, all right, I'll pour on some more. You know, Romans 5, when sin abounds, what happens? Grace abounds more. I mean, it's, it's just like mind-blowing, the kindness of God and His grace. Um, and so sometimes we take those that God can give more grace, we, we take it in the sense of like, oh, well, God's holding back on us. No, that's not it at all. I mean, it's, it's over-the-top, abundant grace, infinite grace, and then any sense of need on our part, and God's like, okay, sure, have some more, you know. We already had plenty to begin with, but he's just that gracious. We're favored. It's a beautiful thing. All right, number two, I am forgiven. My sin debt is canceled, and my sins are sent away. So the two underlined there, canceled and set, sent away, those are connected to the two main words in the New Testament for forgiveness. Um, one of the words is actually the, the one for canceled. That's the context it's used in. It's another form of the word grace. 
So uh, I don't know that it helped to tell you the Greek words, but anyway, it, the, the, the root grace is, is the majority of the word to forgive. It's another form of saying he graced us. <laughs> so it's not the exact same word as favored, but it's very similar. He graced us and he forgave us of our sins. And it's used in the context of having our sin debt canceled. So here's a really cool picture of that in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. So you can go ahead and turn there. Colossians, just a few pages over from Ephesians. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And this is that beautiful picture of our sin debt being canceled. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. That word forgiven is that word graced. He graced us, forgiven us all trespasses. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. I love that. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So here's that list of all my sins, past, present, and future, and the debt that I owed. You know, it's like this, like getting your mortgage statement in the mail, right? And there's that picture. Here's how much you still owe on your home or whatever, you know. So this is the list of my sins, my debt against God. And His grace took that list and nailed it to the cross. Done, canceled, paid in full. It's over. All my sins, past, present, and future. Whew! That is grace. That is grace. What a God to do that in his kindness for us. So my sin debt is canceled. There's another word for forgiveness that's used in the New Testament throughout Scripture, and it sort of means to to release or to send away. And so that's the other phrase that you have up there with, I am forgiven. Uh, So still here in Colossians, we have this word used in chapter 1, verse 14. It's also the word used in Ephesians 1.7, but we'll just stay here in Colossians for now. And there it says this, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So the sins are sent away. And uh, you get a similar idea to this in Psalm 103, for example. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our sins, sent away our sins. They're they're gone. They're, They're vanquished. Banished, there's the word I'm looking for. Um, And so they're sent away, paid in full and sent away. Pretty cool pictures to think about when it comes to our sin. So here's a thoughtful question for you. How does a Christian's identity as forgiven help a person who is worried whether they have confessed every specific sin? Right, so a Christian, there's... Conscience is bothering them. Oh no, have I confessed everything I needed to? Or maybe it's somebody who's, you know, maybe even doubting their salvation. Maybe did I say all the right things? You know, what what's going on here? How does this part of their identity forgiven? How does that help them in a moment like that? Okay. They're all forgiven. They're forgiven. It's not, it doesn't say some of them. Yes. Most of them, they're forgiven. Yes. 
That's right. That's right. Yep, forgiven. Yeah, the end of verse 13, it's there, isn't it? Having forgiven you all trespasses. Right, good. Yeah, that's Colossians 2.13, if you're looking for that. I didn't say it clearly. Yeah, other ideas. How does that help? Yeah. At all. Yeah. Ever since. Right. Yeah, it was never about my qualifications, was it? Or whether I said all the right things or whether I noticed everything. It was, I was dead and he brought me salvation. Yeah. Right. Excellent. Excellent. And so, yeah, as a Christian, my permanent condition is forgiven. Now, you know, passages like 1 John 1 9 remind us that. To walk in fellowship with God? Should I, you know, when I realize I've committed a sin, should I turn to him and confess it? Well, yeah, sure, of course, walk in fellowship. But it does not change my status, my identity as forgiven. That's done. That's permanent. The whole sin debt on that list are things that I don't even know I'm going to do yet. It's done. It's canceled, nailed to the cross. It is finished, Jesus says from the cross. So pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, Jim. If you have a late payment or you miss a payment, once it's canceled, it's canceled. It doesn't ah, matter what the past was. Right, right. Good. Yes, yeah, so using the mortgage illustration, once the debt is canceled, there's no, there's no late payments. doesn't matter. It's done. It's gone. Right. Excellent. Good. Good thoughts. All right. So we're favored. We're forgiven. All right. Moving on. We are reconciled. Reconciled. I am at peace with God. At peace with God. Let's turn together to Romans chapter 5 for this one. And again, I want you to notice the connections between grace, right? So we've talked about being favored, that's grace. Even the word forgiveness has to do with grace. And uh, now as we come into being reconciled, notice the way it dovetails too with grace and forgiveness. So here in Romans chapter 5, um, would somebody be willing to read verses 1 and 2 for us, nice and loud? Tim, you got it? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into his grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. All right, good. So justified is in there. The key phrase we're dwelling on for a moment here is we have peace with God. We've been justified, therefore we have peace with God. And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're at peace. Uh, Another passage we could look at is uh, in Colossians where it says, We were once enemies, but now we've been reconciled um, and brought near. So we've been given this peace with God. Now, there are a couple aspects to reconciliation that we will uh, dig into here in a moment. One is that God provided reconciliation to the entire world. And you're going to notice in a moment a passage that talks about this. But what God did at the cross is He provided the opportunity for the whole world 
to be at peace with God. Believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for the sins of the world. So there's this presentation, this opportunity for reconciliation of all things to God. But it's applied only to those who believe. So when we trust in Christ as Savior, that's when we then are at peace with God, right? Um, And so this is uh, really important to consider. He provides for it through the cross and applies it to those who believe. We begin to see this, for instance, in Romans 5, again, verses 10 and 11. Would somebody uh, be willing to read those verses for us? Romans 5, 10 and 11. Jennifer, thank you. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of the Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God for our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Okay. So you sort of see a little bit hinted at the two aspects of it here. The reconciliation provided, but then towards the end of verse 11, the reconciliation actually received when they trusted in Christ. Uh, And so two aspects of that reconciliation provided through the death of God's Son. Uh, So just an initial question about reconciliation. We're going to look at two more passages that deal with it here, but here's an initial discussion question. How does our identity as reconciled change the way we view God's attitude toward us? Good answer, Ruby. How does our identity as reconciled to God change the way we view God's attitude toward us? Yeah. Yeah. Instead of punisher is the term he used, he's now helper, friend, right? Right. Yeah. Heirs. We're joint heirs with Christ. We know everything that he knows. Uh-huh. We work at it and study it. Right. So. Right. Right. He shared all things with us. Yeah. Good. There's, yeah. Yeah, Scott. It, it emphasizes his really extreme love for us because mm-hmm. uh, right before this, Paul talks about how, like, no one's even going to die for a righteous person, um, much less. Like, there's nothing desirable about us, but God still loved us. So he had to have loved us a lot right. in order to send his son. Um, and so he's already done that. Right. He sent his son. He loves us. Like, how could we not be reconciled? To right. Right. Yep. Good. Good, good. All right. Good answers. Let's continue on. Uh, so let's go to another key passage about reconciliation over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 5 will be in verses 18 through 20. And let's see, maybe somebody volunteer to read this one for us. 
Dan, thank you. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing the trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleased through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Okay, thank you. So, just a uh, first thing I'll point out is, again, you see these two aspects. God both provided reconciliation. You see that back in verse 18, that um, through Jesus Christ, or excuse me, verse 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, all people. Um, but then it still needs to be applied. And so that's why at the end of verse 20, we encourage people, be reconciled to God. So when a person believes that reconciliation is applied, though it has been provided for already at the cross. So there's sort of those two aspects to it. But the key for us, the new thing we want to catch from this passage is that we are an ambassador. We are Christ's ambassador of reconciliations. Two key phrases here. We have a ministry of reconciliation and we are Christ's ambassadors. Um, so an ambassador, of course, is a, is a representative. And so here on earth, we have this message Peace has been paid for, for you. So trust in Christ and find peace with God. Be reconciled to God, right? Um, And so that's our message. Peace has been paid for. Trust in Christ and be reconciled to God. Uh, And so we are ambassadors. So knowing that we are ambassadors of reconciliation, how does that affect our relationships with people? How does our identity as ambassadors of reconciliation affect our relationships with people? Yeah. Okay, we're peacemakers. Good. Excellent. What else? I guess that covered it. Well done. <laughs> Any other ideas? Yeah, Carrie. Yeah, so Carrie's mentioning even with her children during the day, she's showing them what Christ is like, showing them that pursuit of peace, right? Um, Yeah, so cool. So every relationship becomes valuable when we're ambassadors for Christ, right? There's never a wasted opportunity to show somebody what that reconciliation is like, which is so cool. Whether that's your children, whether that's at work, whether that's your neighbor, whatever, you know? Yeah, excellent. Did you have something? Yes, right. Ambassador's one who is representative of and should never be doing anything contrary to the character of the one they are sent on behalf. Right, yep. Authorized to represent God in our relationships here on earth. And so, you know, the, the, the burden of representing him well in those contexts. Yes, excellent. Good. 
All right, one last thought about reconciliation. For this one, we'll go over to uh, Colossians chapter 1. I guess back to Colossians chapter 1. Verses 19 through 22. This one provides an interesting direction to our reconciliation, that it was for a purpose, not only to give us peace with God, but to lead to something. So see if you can catch that. I'll read these here. Colossians 1, 19-22, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So there in verse 22, you get the sense that our reconciliation is to lead towards something uh, that God would present us holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Now, ultimately, that will be finished with our glorification when we're completely sanctified before God, but it also doesn't not include as a double negative. It includes our current sanctification, doesn't it? That we're currently progressing towards holiness. So part of the reason for this peace is for holiness. Even now, today, because I'm already at peace with God, I can grow in holiness. Sometimes we get it backwards, right? We think we need to grow in holiness so we can then be at peace with God. God did it the opposite way. He gave us peace, and then helps us to grow in holiness. Isn't that cool? It's not uh, trying to be holy so that God's not going to be angry with me anymore. No, that anger's done. Wrath is gone. We're at peace. Oh, okay. Now let's grow in holiness. And God's done a beautiful thing when he did that. So we're reconciled for holiness. All right, any comments on the first three here? Uh, favored, forgiven, reconciled. Or, yeah. 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 He's reconciled us to his holy body. So he is Christ, him, or his would be Christ. But then present you in order to present you before him. I'm wondering, is him Christ or is are we being presented to God the Father? Is there any evidence? That yes, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. So, um, I mean, I could guess in Ephesians 5, you've got the sense of the church being presented to Christ as his bride without spot and without blemish. So, you know, there's certainly room to say we are presented to Christ for his honor as the bride. Right. Yeah, no, it looks like, I mean, I, my first conclusion would be that it's Christ there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good question. Any other thoughts or comments on the first three? Yeah, Andrea. Um, when he reconciles us, he doesn't, like, hold a grudge or, like, right. it's a perfect 
relationship, right? It's not like he's holding his nose, like, this is what I'm supposed to do, you know? <laughs> right. he, he's pleading with us, I think, is what yeah. St. Corinthians said. He wants us to be reconciled instead of like, right. okay, this is, you know, this is what we are supposed to do, right. <laughs> which we often do yes. in our earthly relationships if we're not following. Right. Yeah, we often, we often uh, take our emotions and paste them on God and I'm so thankful he doesn't handle things the way we do, right? So it's this pure, finished, complete peace. And uh, that's just period, you know? Like, there's no more you need to say. It's done. That's it, you know? So there's, there's you know, no hint of anger, no hint of any of that. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Mary Lee. Yeah, I have <laughs> Okay. Yes, I think. I mean, I haven't looked carefully at this text, but that would be my initial conclusion uh, based on the fact it says, in the body of his flesh through death. Does, your, does the NASB say that? So that's talking about Jesus. And so usually if there's another pronoun, it takes the same antecedent. Yes? Right? Yes, that's true. Yeah, I, I'd have to look at the original wording to... Oh, no, 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 it's okay. Right. Right. No, 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 it's no problem. So, yeah, you're, it's referring back and forth from the Son and the Father. It obviously starts... Um, well, the hymn, the hymn in verse 19, in him all the fullness should dwell, that's talking about Jesus. By him to reconcile, that's talking about Jesus. I'm sorry I don't have the same translation. That would make this easier. Uh, let's see here. Verse 21, now he has reconciled. Uh, typically, it's the Father that's mentioned doing the reconciling, and so... That would be my likely conclusion there, though the Father is not specifically mentioned in verse 21. Uh, but I think in the body of his flesh through death is talking about Jesus Christ there. Um, and so to make you blameless and above reproach in his sight, yeah, it's hard to make a definitive conclusion from our reading right now, but we're righteous in both of their sights. <laughs> no, good questions. No, no, it's no problem. It's fun to dig into the text and see if you can figure it out. So, Good. All right, let's get to our last one. Number four, I am redeemed. I am purchased out of slavery to sin to serve Christ. I am redeemed. I am purchased out of slavery to sin to serve Christ.
So one of the aspects of redemption that we don't emphasize a lot is that we're actually redeemed to something. We are, yes, freed from sin, um, but we're not just kind of like shoved out there, just like freely wandering somewhere, you know. We're, we're purchased by someone out of slavery. Uh, and so our relationship to God is different than our former slavery to sin, and we'll talk about that. But we are still a purchased possession, which is significant. Now, it's not a sad or a scary thing. We've begun to understood what our identity is in Christ, and it's pretty rich and awesome. So, yeah. But anyway, we'll talk a little bit about uh, that in a moment. So, let's begin with the first part of this, the purchasing. Okay, so letter A, my salvation from sin is purchased by the blood of Christ the blood is referred to most often, it's, it's the full death of Christ on the cross. So the verse we read in Colossians talks about reconciliation through the death. But the blood is referred to most frequently with redemption, that the blood itself is that payment. And that has to do with the metaphor of um, the sacrificial lamb in the Old Testament, that blood being the payment for sins. Um, and so that's highlighted some in the New Testament. Uh, let's, let's see here. Let me look ahead at my notes. Yeah. Uh, tell you what, in number four here, there are one, two, three, four, five passages that are in bold. So you've got Romans 3.24, Titus, Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 6, and Revelation 5.9. Could I real quick have five volunteers to take those passages? One for each. Okay, so Lydia, would you take Romans 3.24? Uh, and somebody to do Titus 2. Larry, thank you. Romans 5, 20, 21. Scott, thank you. And then um, 1 Corinthians 6.20. Michael, thank you. And finally, Revelation 5.9. Dell, thank you. All right, just for the sake of time, we'll assign those now. Um, Lydia, would you please read Romans 3.24 for us? Okay. So one of the keys here is we are justified freely by His grace. And that word freely is an interesting word. It literally means without price, without cost. And the reason our justification can be without cost for us is that the cost was paid. It has a cost, right? So that's the beautiful thing about God's forgiveness. This is not a sweep it under the rug kind of forgiveness, or you know, it's not a dry erase marker on a, on a whiteboard. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real transaction. Our sin exists, and it had a cost, but it's paid in full. That's redemption. It's purchased entirely by the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we already read Ephesians 1.7 and Colossians 1.14, which are almost exactly parallel to each other, but it's this, uh, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That payment is paid in full. So thought question here, how does the truth of redemption help someone who is struggling in their battle with sin? How does the truth of redemption help someone who is struggling in their battle with sin? 
Sunday. One of the words that I remember hearing early on was that in the Old Testament, the blood covered sin, but with the blood of Christ, is washed away forever as if it never existed. Right. It's right. Gone. Cleansed, gone, paid in full. Right. It's done. Excellent. Good. All right, for the sake of time, let's continue on. I, I will tell you this, redemption is going to have a part two. Uh, we'll cover it, we'll finish it off next week um, because it's such a rich aspect of our salvation. So, uh, Lord willing, next week will be part two of redemption. Uh, another thing that happens with redemption is that we are moved. So, we were in slavery to sin, we're purchased out of that, and we're, what called, we're, we're now what's called under grace and so this actually circles back around to what we learned at the beginning. We're favored. We stand in God's grace. And that has to do with redemption. We're purchased out of sin and we're placed into grace. We're under grace. Um, okay, who did I give Titus to? To, to, to. Larry, thank you. The grace of salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every, from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Okay. Very good. So at the beginning there, Larry read it well. It's a key phrase. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared, teaching us. So God's grace leads to something. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live, yada, yada, yada. So God's grace, when, it, when we're in grace, under grace, it actually does teach us to live a certain way. It moves us toward holiness. All right, who had Romans 5, 20 and 21? Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, I love this picture here. Where sin used to reign, now in Christ grace reigns. Isn't that great? Now, of course, we know that Jesus reigns. It's a word picture. It's a metaphor. We're purchased out of slavery to sin, where sin reigned. Now we're in under grace, where grace reigns. That's the rule of life, and it's a beautiful thing. Uh, good. So under grace is kind of our new category of existence here. All right, let's go on to letter C. I am purchased to serve Christ. I'm purchased to serve Christ. So we are indeed free. We're free from sin. We're free from the law. Yes, but we're purchased for a reason. So let's, uh, let's listen to 1 Corinthians 6.20. Who had that one? Okay, you are bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Good. Uh, all right, and then finally, my redemption is for Christ's eternal glory. My redemption is for Christ's eternal glory. Who has Revelation 5, 9? And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue 
Excellent. Yeah, what translation is that? NASB, yeah. So it uses that, that word, purchase. That's the word redemption. Good translation of that. So he has redeemed us. He's purchased us to God. And for this reason, the Lamb will be praised forevermore. He's worthy uh, in the book of Revelation because of our redemption. So it works for his eternal glory. All right, so that's part one of redemption. We'll dig into it a little more in a couple key texts next week. Uh, Let's close our time in a word of prayer. Father, we marvel at what you've done in Christ. You have graced us. You've poured your favor upon us while we were yet sinners. Uh, You've done this for us, and we marvel at your kindness to us. Tonight, because of Christ, I am favored and forgiven and reconciled. I have peace with you. I can talk with you. You're not angry with me, and I praise you for it. Help us to live lives that are distinct because of the way you have treated us, you favored us. And so help us to be ambassadors for Christ in response to your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.